That's not true. Yes, it is. Hello and welcome back to episode 12 of the Double Reel Film Podcast. This is the second reel of our monthly magazine-style podcast for film nerds. Hopefully you've caught up with the first reel, had a brief intermission and refueled, ready to take on this mighty second installment of Nerdy Film Chat. If you haven't caught the first reel yet, please do go back to your app and download and listen to it so you're up to date with all the features we've covered already this month. These include our roundup of news and spotlight on some of the films we watched this month, our classic and recommended feature on Seven Samurai, our hidden gem, Summer of Sam, the one that got away about Ridley Scott's Tripoli, and our remake hate watch of Disney's various new live-action versions of their animated classics. Now in Reel 2, we bring you our big conversation, where we tackle a weighty topic and give it a fuller, i.e. longer, discussion. This month, we're looking at how CGI has changed the film industry for better and worse, and what the future might hold for technology in the making of films. Joining me as always for the big conversation is my co-host, James Adamson. Welcome, James. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be here. I'm uh, I'm excited to get into this one because it's, uh, it's it's one that I've uh, discussed a lot with you before and uh, I wrote a couple of essays on it when I was at university, so it'll be a good one to discuss. Yeah, very good. I mean, CGI is so prevalent in film now that it's it's, it's kind of everywhere. It's even in films that you don't, don't realise it's in. But I thought it would be interesting to start with a little bit of the background to CGI. Um, I was stretching the term a little bit for some of these facts because I think CGI, as we understand it today, is an image that's been created in, in a computer, you know, a computer that's been created by Apple specifically to generate graphics or images for, for films. But yeah. computers have been used for quite a long time in films when you actually look back at it. The first use of computer-generated animation in a film uh, was in 1958, as it turns out. Wow. And that is the opening title sequence of Hitchcock's Vertigo. Um, they had a very primitive computer that did some of the there's like a if you've seen vertigo there's a lot of spiral animation in it because it's you know to to give that dizziness effect for um james stewart's character and that that's that sensation of falling and they actually did some of that with computer animation i mean very very primitive but there you go 1958 63 years ago um but that was just a, a, a an opening sort of title sequence the first ever use of cgi in the main actual part of a film that you're watching was uh, Westworld in 1973. Um, it's the original film that that recent TV series was based on, where Yul Brynner plays a, a cowboy android who goes haywire. And to create the pixelated effect of like the android's point of view, like seeing the scene through the android's uh, vision, they used a computer um, to create that in 1973. Um, the first proper use of CGI, as we understand it today, is 1982 with Tron. They actually used computer-generated animation there. Um, they decided not to use any traditional animation back then because it was too expensive. And I think, you know, CGI is probably partly a cost thing these days, and this is when that first started. Back then it was so controversial that they refused to give Tron any nominations for any of its visual effects because CGI back then was seen as cheating. Right. Um, and the first ever fully CGI character, uh, you know, that it's quite common now to see a character in a film that was completely computer-generated the first one of those was young Sherlock Holmes in 1985, where they had a ghostly knight that, uh, you know, attacks uh, the, the main characters, and that was generated by computer. Um, back then, I mean, you're talking about, you know, most, you know, computers were very, very primitive. Not, not everyone could even afford it. Um, in John Carpenter's Escape from New York, they actually had to use miniatures to create the the effect of someone looking at a computer screen because they couldn't afford any computers for their film. And that was a reasonably big film, right? 
Um, but obviously from there, you're talking about you know Jurassic Park, 1993. That's when everyone starts talking about CGI as we know it today. CGI being you know something that actually can create almost the whole world of film. Strangely enough, though, there's only 15 minutes of dinosaur effects in the original Jurassic Park, and only five minutes of that is, is, is computer-generated. Uh, the rest of it is clever physical effects, models, and animatronics by Stan Winston, possibly why the CGI still holds up. Um, but, you know, ever since then, you know, CGI has exploded. It's everywhere. Um, and obviously the power of the computers that are now available changes it now. I mean, they did Toy Story, um, a completely computer-generated animation on a computer that was half as powerful as a modern-day iPhone. So part of the you know where we've got to today is that now that the power of computers is such that CGI can be in almost every film that you see. But there was a time when having CGI in a film was seen as something of a milestone, right? But now it's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It was a nice uh, history of the uses of CGI. I didn't know all that stuff back in the 50s and 70s. I obviously know that Jurassic Park became the kind of, not the cornerstone, but it was like a game changer. The one I... Um, the one I remember most distinctly was that the f- the first motion capture character was um, Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and those films brought in um, it was uh, Weta that um, did those special effects, and they brought in a programming system to um, instead of having to individually animate every single orc or soldier on the battlefield, they created a like a, an algorithm or a computer system mm-hmm. that did could do like ten thousand at a time, and yeah. they could all be individual and unique, which is you know. That's pretty good going for back in 2001, 2 and 3. Um, but yeah, the CGI now is, it's it's everywhere, it's in every film. But I think the CGI we're about to talk about is completely different to the spirals that you would see at the start of Vertigo. It's, Absolutely, uh, yeah. It's, uh, we were, we were just talk- discussing before we, uh, we started recording was um, the main one that we both agreed that needed discussed was the de-aging thing. Because, um, yeah, I mean, that's where we've got to now with, uh, with, with CGI, isn't it? That they are taking it to, to, to whole new levels, aren't they? Well, the interesting thing is, is that with special effects, you always kind of think that they're going to get better. So you obviously you look at what happened with Tron. Tron looks very dated. Tron still gives me a headache when I watch it. Yeah, yeah. It's really... There's something it's just about jarring. it. It's just and, jarring. And they, had to make, they had to make everything really dark. Yeah. And they, they, they were so limited in what they could actually portray on screen. Because, I mean, they're talking about, in 1982, the, the, the video games that you could see were, you know, literally what you see there on, the, on that screen. You would stand at a massive arcade and push yeah. a button and the screen would show like a, a line, you know, going zigzagging down. That was, that was all they could create. And they had to, they had to show it on a, on a very dark screen so that it would show up. And it is, it's not, it's a bit kind of, oh, bit, bit heavy, to, bit heavy to look at, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's interesting though because it seems that from vertical it seems like an almost straight incline. There's obviously going to be hits and misses with cheap films mm-hmm. here and there trying to do CGI, but with the big films that do it right, it seems to you know it's been nothing but improvements. But with that de aging yeah. thing, the first de aging one I remember is is it was oh, I don't know if it was the first one was uh, Jeff Bridges being de aged in Tron Legacy. Yeah, and it didn't look right, did it? It never it looked real look for right, one second. I kind of understood. Or why they did it? Um, it was that, that film was a, a mess for lots of reasons, but I understood yeah, I was why so they did it because by that. Yeah, great soundtrack, been, though. great soundtrack, and I actually I, I quite like the premise of the film and the story. It's yeah. just a bit, it was just a bit shit. But yeah, what, yeah there, there's, a saw, whole, there's a whole there's a whole other conversation about what they should have done yeah. differently in Tron Legacy. Yeah, what I saw with that de aging, it's like okay, they're trying something new. I understand why they're doing it because it takes a it, you know it t- tells the story from two timelines: present day Jeff Bridges and Jeff Bridges back in. 
two, three, or whatever it was. Yeah. So I understood why they did it because they were they're introducing his son as you know the the main character. So they're trying to show why he. So I understood why they did it. It looked shit, but yeah. you know you thought okay, maybe in ten years this will look better. But it seems like that's the only thing they can't get right. There's just something about it that doesn't seem right. I thought the Irishman's de aging looked wank. I didn't think it looked good at all. I thought you could tell it was Robert De Niro age seventy six. He'd just been you know airbrushed to fuck. It's the one yeah. thing that I don't think they're getting right at all. So yeah, I mean the thing with uh, with the de aging of uh, of Rob De Niro. I mean I, I don't get that at all, and and it, it, it takes me back to like when when CGI was popularized by Jurassic Park. A lot of other people tried to do you know things with CGI in in the nineties, and a lot of it looks absolutely shoddy now. And, and Jurassic Park actually stands up as well as it does because Spielberg is a smart guy uh, and knows that if the technology can do this much, right? So only do this much with it and use your in, your, your your ingenuity for the rest of it. Um, but other people came in. There was a film called The Lawnmower Man, which was absolutely terrible. That yeah. uh, a man who kind of sort of gets sucked into computers back in a time where I think there are a lot of people in the film industry who still didn't understand computers. So their idea of, Oh, what are the kids playing video games? Okay. Let's do a film about that. It just looks really, really shonky. Um, yeah. And even if about as recent as 2002, where they tried to CGI uh, a lot of images for the Bond film, die another day. And it looks absolutely, you know, it, it looks literally like Pierce Brosnan, you know, having a hairdryer blown at his head um, on a green screen, you know? Um, with so it looks to me now we're in another situation like that where I've said well, let's try this de-aging and I haven't got it yet and people are kind of there's going to be like a round of people you know leaving aside whether it's a good thing or not to try and do de-aging I think in terms of the de-aging technology I think they're going to keep trying until they get it and history will look back on the previous attempts and go yeah that was when they didn't get it right and there'll be some future point where they have got it from a technological point of view do you know what I mean yeah I just you you we- We've got films now like Marvel films and the Star Wars films. The special effects look very good and they look very polished and they look real. They look very realistic. And it's that's the, I think that's the beauty of CGI films when they get them right is that you can be transported to a different planet or mm-hmm. you can you know watch superheroes flying about and it looks polished. It doesn't look fake. And that's the kind of the allowances we give to films like Jurassic Park. Okay, it looks a little bit dated then, but remember, you know, this is back in the 90s when this was still a new concept. Yeah. So that's... Uh, that's kind of some allowances, but with these films now, we've it's also almost become kind of become the norm with these huge, big films that you know that you're gonna you're gonna see you know some cool special effects and you're gonna see some cool fights between aliens and superheroes and things like that. Yeah. So when they get it so wrong with a thing that you'd think would be as simple as de aging, you it, it's I don't know if this is me being quite ignorant, but if they can you know animate you know, Thanos for yeah. six hours of film over Infinity War and Endgame. You know, obviously he's not in it for the whole six hours, but he's in he's in those films quite prominently. And he doesn't look, you know, he doesn't look, you know, unpolished. He looks very realistic for a big purple scrotum. Um Do you think do you think that's the issue though, is that I think the human the human mind and the human eye looks at Thanos, right, and says, Well that's not a real human being, is it? That's an yeah. alien from another planet. Look at that giant jutting jaw of his. He's purple and all that stuff. And in their mind, they're kind of instant, without even thinking about it, they're accepting that's the character on screen. That computer generated character, I accept. And then when they do something like, um, you know, in Rogue One, where they did like CGI versions of Peter Cushing and, and Carrie Fisher, 
um, so that it was a completely computer-generated Peter Cushing from 1977. Yeah, it just and, didn't and right. it, it doesn't look right. And partly, I think it's because they haven't quite got it yet. But I think, do you think maybe the human brain looks at it and goes, I know that's not Peter Cushing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because Peter, Cushing Peter Cushing's dead. Away, yeah. And I know that's not Carrie Fisher because, you know, that's what she looked like when she was 24, right? And she's 60 now, you know. Yeah, so I, I, I know that's not her. And, and the, your brain is almost rejecting it. Well, obviously, obviously, sorry, Carrie Fisher passed away, but was had she passed away when Rogue One had come out? I'm not quite no, sure. No, not not quite. I don't think. Okay, no. but yeah, you, the, I think the brain goes well. Robert De Niro is in his mid to late seventies and doesn't look like he's in his fifties. So, what's going on here? Yeah, I um, mean, the thing is, there's two things. One, should they do that at all? I mean, why not get a younger actor and, a, and an older actor to play the same part? Well, that's what that's they used been to do. Brilliant. Robert De Niro is literally in one of those films. He played a younger Don Vito Corleone. He won a fucking Oscar for it. <laughs> Absolutely, so, and, so, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a teenager played the younger version of him in, in Once Upon a Time in America, and then they and then they got him to wear a lot of um, you know aging makeup um, to play the older character. It's like it, it's it's happened, and, well, it, and it looks the, looks much more natural. They did with Looper. Um, yeah, Joseph yeah. They, Gordon-Levitt was playing a young Bruce Willis, so he. They gave him like prosthetics to make his lip look yeah, a little bit. Yeah, so he looked a bit more like like what, what a young Bruce Willis might look like. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and and so I mean the thing is there may come a point where they've really got it right, and and but you'll still wonder why they bother doing it. If you look at like the Gemini Man, where Will Smith was de-aged, was it worth it? Do you know what I mean? That film was shit, wasn't it? So. Yeah, was it was was it worth like? Um, it's just it's it's not much of a story idea. It's like you know. I mean, I, I kind of understand the concept of, you know, cloning uh, a super agent because, you know, that super agent was the best at his job. But the, the, the actual film itself was shit that I'm actually not offended by the bad CGI. <laughs> yeah, you just you just wonder if the same film couldn't have been done just as well by getting a younger actor, yeah, to, 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 to play the younger kind of cloned character and, and stick on a bloody grey wig and all the, and all just, the usual stuff. Well, no, because what know, they would have done is they would have cast Jaden Smith. Well, that would have been terrible. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, what they, that's exactly what they've done. Well, he looks like, he looks like Will yeah, Smith. Yeah, and it's just, you know, it's like, I think it's, it's called the uncanny valley effect where, and, and obviously it dates back to when these things were a bit more obvious, you know, that they weren't real. Yeah. But it's the idea, it's just not real enough that it kind of, it's kind of off-putting, like it's a talking lion or whatever, right? And its yeah. mouth is moving like it's saying words, and part of your brain just goes, "That's not real," and, I, and I'm and I'm not, and it's and it takes you out of the film. Whereas if if you do a, and we're getting into our kind of Disney live action story now, but if you do a drawing of a, of a lion talking, right, your you, your mind kind of kind of accepts it. You're the already point, in the whole point of yeah. the whole point of yeah, the whole point of film is you you create reality and do something consistent with that reality, and it's like. What in, never in a million years is is Robert De Niro going to be able to move and run around like the Robert De Niro uh, who was thirty two years old? I mean, look at a picture of a thirty two year old Robert De Niro from something like yeah. Taxi Driver. He was this even when he was like forty something in Midnight Run. He's this lean guy, right? Yeah. Jumping off trains and stuff. You know, the guy kept himself in good nick and just you know he was he's not like some of these people now where you think I can't believe he's forty. He's in phenomenal shape, but he was still in good nick, right? And then you see him in in the Irishman and. Have they really de- I had to look at Wikipedia for that. He was 32 at this point. He's clearly not 32. Yeah, he he's he's 55 at a push. It's was and it wasn't even worth it. Yeah. I don't I don't For all the money that got spent. Yeah, well the what Martin Scorsese went against his core mantra of cinema and went to work for Netflix so they would give him the money to make that film. So Yeah, and I think um, he could have he could have done the same film on a more achievable budget and just cast some younger actors. 
I think that's the one thing. I think we agree that CGI can create some incredible sequences. I know that we both love Christopher Nolan's films because the CGI in those films is just mm-hmm. superb. It's sec- second to none. Um, but I think we both agree that the the one the one thing about CGI, the one thing CGI is used for, de-aging is the one thing that they've not got right yet. And I, because it's not necessary, I don't think they need to perfect it. I think just cast a younger actor. And I understood why they did it for Tron Legacy a little bit because... They, they introduced a new character but that was that was a screenwriting choice that probably fucked it for the creators of that film anyway because they're like well, well now we need to show young jeff bridges and the impact that he had on his son's life but when you're you've got the option of having it like a young actor playing the character then, mm. then just do that just yeah i mean it's just um the the, the cgi that that works right is it should be like you, you, you're not talking about the CGI afterwards. You're thinking it's it's a really cool sequence. I mean, and and there's reasons you would use CGI rather than, than other things. I mean, for example, the whole Planet of the Apes um, reboots where they used Andy Serkis, who built on what he learned with motion capture with Gollum, and he now has his own company, I think, that does that stuff. And you know, yeah. plenty of plenty of actors. They love a bit of kind of you know. They all, all you know. You've done, you've studied with the Scottish Youth Theatre and stuff. You know how you learn movement and stuff. Yeah. You know, you, you could get a group of actors and say, all right, I want you to walk around like a bunch of apes, and they're as happy as a pig in shit, right? Because they because that's what they trained for for three years in drama school or whatever, and they wear the motion suits, and you create this realistic world of apes that would violate every animal welfare law in the book, right? If you tried to do it with really with animals or would look a bit stupid if you tried to do it with people in ape suits, totally get it. And those, those planet of the apes reboots, I think are really, really good, but also they're really, really good because they're a good story and they're well done. And they, someone actually wrote um, a screenplay that made sense. And it's almost like sometimes that CGI is an excuse for, 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 you know, film, you know, studios to be a bit lazy. Yeah. I think CGI works when it's necessary. So if you tell me you're going to make a Planet of the Apes trilogy, like a standalone trilogy, where it's not related to the Charlton Heston and that god-awful Tim Burton reboot, mm-hmm. um, that film demands a lot of CGI. You're going to have talking apes and apes doing things in, mm-hmm. you know, city climates, you know, buildings and things like that, and, you know, becoming, you know, super intelligent beings yeah you know you have to you have you have to have cgi for that you can't you can't do animatronics for that in this day and age it'd be a fucking nightmare so i understand why they're not but it seems like now they just they use cgi at every opportunity when they don't necessarily need to what the i think the best example i can think of is that for the original star wars films they used you know original sets and mm-hmm. designs and I don't know if there was a lot of CGI in them. Maybe little things. There were like tiny bits of CGI in it, things. but a lot of it was. I mean, it's all George and stuff Lucas like that. had George Lucas had to invent his special effects. He created industrial light and magic for yeah. for that. And I think George Lucas, you know, leaving aside the fact that he didn't do a very good job of, of, of the prequels, George Lucas has done a very good job of creating special effects for films. Well, as far as as far as he was concerned, any visual effect that makes it look real and exciting for the audience is a good visual effect. Well, that, that, was gonna, that was the point I was going to make. Is that the first the first films worked because of the stories and the characters and you know the models and obviously it looks dated now when you've got the big eighty um, eighties mm-hmm. on um, Hoth. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit, it jer- it's dated, a bit jerky it, here and there, but, it's, but it, it still looked good and it looked good in the, the snowy climate and then you know obviously on Tatooine where it's all sandy and things like that. That was mm-hmm. the was Tunisia they filmed it in. Mm. So, so th- this it, is the flip side to that un- uncanny valley thing we were talking about, isn't it? Because I think Pete, your your mind is quite ready to forgive some l- 
less than completely realistic special effects if if the film if the whole film is working. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're subconsciously going. I know this was made in 1977, and I'm enjoying this, and that was quite a good. Like that was a really good fighter dog fight in space. So I'm 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 going to go with this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but no, the, the, that that's the point I was going to make is that it looked it looked jerky and it looked a bit off, but you kind of forgave it. And then when they made the prequels, there was no there was no you know real life environments with the CGI layered on top of it, which is the way it should have been. Mm-hmm. You know the you know it was all done on set it was done on green screen like even the bits in the tatooine pod racing it's all cgi'd and it's done mm-hmm. in the film street. And that's just not that's just not what star wars you know should have looked like um and the, the same thing happened with the lord of the rings and then the hobbit the first lord of the Rings films the peter jackson is from new zealand and knows how beautiful his country is so he did lots of shots of the mountain ranges there and the natural beauty that that country has and it worked well and then the story layered on top of it and then layered the cgi Touch, on top of yeah, it yeah exactly it, touched it, it up a bit it, didn't he when it was necessary, you know, you mm-hmm. know, things like you know, building the big towers, building Isengard, things like that, and yeah. um, having Gollum be mocap and things like that. Completely understand laying that on top of the already you know breathtaking scene in it. And I thought, okay, well, with the Hobbit, they could just do the same thing. And again, no, it was all green screened, and the, the special effects in the Hobbit just looked shit. And Peter Jackson's admitted that it was rushed. And there was a lot of problems with that production, and you can tell. But you know, things like even Smaug, the dragon in the Hobbit, mm-hmm. doesn't look real. By the time you got yeah. to the third film, the Battle of the Five Armies, you know, everything's animated. Like Billy Connolly's a character, who, and you forget that Billy Connolly's in the fucking film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's completely CGI and um, animated, and it's just why do that? You you know what the formula that worked for the first time? Now you're just telling a different story in the same. You know, you're still telling the same story from Middle Earth. So why are you absolutely spamming us with CGI yeah. dragons and CGI Lake Town and CGI fucking dwarves? And that's what uh, Ian McKellen fell out with him on the on the film set. He said, I, "This is not acting. This is not what I signed up to do." Yeah, the I'm, first one, I'm, I'm talking to a tennis ball. Yeah, the first the first time they just they, they did clever shots where they had you know either raised or you know you know raised sets that they did, they did that false perspective so that Ian yeah. McKellen and and, and, and the hobbits and the dwarves and it, could look like yeah, they were and it, and different it sizes. And then the next one, there was like about 14 dwarves um, and Gandalf, and it was just, it was all CGI. And he said, this is shit. I'm, I mean, Ian McKellen just hated it. And I mean, it shows in that film. So I think CGI for me is fine when it's necessary. So we were talking about Mad Max Fury Road. That film is a lot of practical effects. And I remember saying to you that 85% of that film is natural scenery and practical effects. And the director, is it George Miller? I yeah. forget his name, George yeah. Miller, um, said that they only used it to enhance the Namibian landscape. So yeah. touching up, you know, because obviously, you know, you can't just ask a sandstorm to, uh, you know, arrive on command and make it look the way you want it to look for a Mad Max film. But it was all the Namibian landscape and then little things here and there, but focusing on the actual quality of the story. Um, yeah, see, I like it when they use stuff like that. I mean, when you talk about the original Lord of the Rings films, it was almost they made a virtue of the fact that the c- computer couldn't do everything for them. And and that's an example of, of it being done very well. I mean, contemporary examples of that being good are in Gladiator. Um, Ridley Scott used CGI to basically create the Colosseum, but he yeah. used a combination of sets and about a thousand extras, and he just did a little bit of clever work with CGI to make that look like a fifty thousand person crowd. And yeah. and that's actually much much better. And the 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 tiger that wasn't a real tiger that kind of bursts out from the trapdoor and, and swipes at, at Russell Crowe, but it wasn't a complete CGI tiger as well. And fifteen years later, when they try and create a CGI tiger in The Walking Dead, it looks like something out of a fucking nineteen eighties kids cartoon, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, sim- but examples of when they got that wrong in 1999 uh, and, and, and the early 2000s, uh, George Lucas had his, you know, he owned his own visual effects company and he created these sort of landscapes for the, the Star Wars prequels. And they just look so dull and uninteresting. You know? Yeah. It's like, uh, I know it's like almost a, a cliche that so many of these kind of worlds in Star Wars films and, and sci-fi films seem to take place on deserts. But you know what? Tunisia looks fucking great. Nevada looks really great as a film set. And you drive around in your truck and you suddenly see another mountainside, another sunset and go, oh, that's brilliant. Let's film here and some CGI can just monkey around with it. You know, and the you know the flip side to that is when they first start, you know, when they try and use special effects beyond what it's capable of, it just takes you out of it because the first Hulk film, they hadn't got Hulk right, um, but they're much better at it now. The the Sam Raimi Spider Man films themselves are quite good, but a lot of a lot of the bit where Spider Man is swinging along on his uh, on his web through the city, it really just look, looks like an animated character swinging around. Yeah. Um, and and actually, you forgive that because the film's good. At least the first two are, you know. And 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 I think that's. I think what I think what we're saying is it's not CGI's fault. If someone makes good use of it in a good film, there are absolutely no complaints, right? It, I, I just wonder whether it's worth all the effort to create a film like Alita Battle Angel, where they go to all that trouble to create, um, uh, you know, a completely computer-generated human characters. It's like, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't even see what the point is. Yeah. No, I agree. Obviously, I've just said that I agree that CGI should be used when it's necessary. And obviously you can't, you can't have Tobey Maguire actually using webs to fly through the New York skyline. If it looks a bit shit, it's probably just, a, it's either a case of it just, the effects not being ready at the time, it being rushed, you know, computers weren't advanced enough to do it. Fine. Um, in terms of CGI, you know, not looking polished today, do you know of any like examples of a film that you saw recently you thought, oh, that CGI looks a bit shit, not including the de-aging stuff? Well, the, the Justice League, where they had to kind of work on Henry Cavill's top lip because he couldn't uh, get rid of his facial hair for the Mission Impossible That was films. so rushed, yeah. That was, that was it's, it was it was funny because when I was looking that up, obviously everyone's seen that and it looks like he's been stung by a bee. Um, but some guy did did it with a graphics package on his on a home laptop and actually made it look better. Fuck so off. what was even worse was some <laughs> film fact you could search it on YouTube. Some guy did Henry Cavill's top lip better, um, and he actually made it look all right. And you just don't understand why. Well, I mean, Zack Snyder is. Well, I, I, I think someone had taken over production by then, but DC just don't seem to get anything right. But um, but like you say, I think it's you know I think see pe- complacency is 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 one of the worst sins of the film industry because these executives would love to just do the same thing over and over again. They um, uh, you know if the executives don't put any thought into it, someone will come in and say we've got this really interesting film. You got to come up, you know, do this, do that. We, we, need, we need some new ideas. We need to maybe find some fresh locations. So I'll oh, just do it on computers. Do a remake of that old film, but just like CGI everything. It's just, it's laziness on the part of the executives, you know? Yeah, that I, I feel. I, I don't feel bad for Justice League. I do in a way because that just seemed like a really tortured production. I've not seen the Snyder Cut. Um, I'm not sure I can be asked. What's it? Is it available to what? It was on Sky Go. It um, is. It is. It, it is streamable. It's about four hours long, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not fucking watching four hours of a Zack Snyder film. But um, yeah, this, even with the original cut, like the CGI of uh, what was his name, Steppenwolf. Apparently they've yeah. done in the Snyder cut. He looks a little bit different. It looks a bit better. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's all about time for these things. I think you know when you're you're wanting to make the film look as realistic as possible. Um, there's not really an excuse for films not looking as sharp and as polished. You can you can criticize the story and the creative choices that the director or the screenwriter or the producers made, absolutely. But when it comes to CGI, you feel like they should be giving the people animating it enough time. Um, yeah, they probably. I mean, if they if they get filmmakers with imagination and say, you know, use some CGI if you need to, that's always going to be a better outcome. I mean, there's, you know, um, have you heard of a film called Seventy One? It's that uh, that it's, one with the in the uh, Belfast. Yeah, yeah. Jack O'Connell plays a yeah, soldier. Yeah, I saw that called, in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they use CGI in that. And all really? they used it for, well, what they did was they, they they worked out how are we going to shoot in Belfast on a relatively low budget. They can't do what Brian De Palma did in The Untouchables and try and create an entire essentially period setting because you can't have satellite dishes, right? You can't have like modern phone, you know, boxes. You can't have, you know, uh, Domino's Pizza on the, you know, on the on the high street or any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, we haven't got the money to create our entire new Belfast 70 set. So they shot on the streets of Belfast and then they got a guy with a computer to just airbrush everything out that didn't look right for 1971. Right. And that's quite yeah. clever. It's like, the, I mean, CGI is like digital. I know like, you know, we love like Nolan and, and, and Tarantino, but I kind of, I think they're a bit more, a bit too hardline for their own good on, on film, right? shooting on film because not everyone can afford to shoot on celluloid and digital means anyone can make a movie. Do you know what I mean? People who have, people who've got more ideas than resources should be, should be able to make a film, right? Because people who've got more resources and ideas have resulted in some pretty numb backsides, you know, and overpriced kind of, you know, film showings, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and when, when people just go, Oh, let's just check. It's like, it's a crutch to lean on. It's not CGI. It's the fact that people use it because they haven't got any better ideas. Like, um, uh, Hellboy, the 2019 version, new version of Hellboy. It's a crap film overall, but the CGI is terrible in that because they gave a lot of money to a bunch of hacks with no talent. That's why, you know, that's why the CGI is crap because everything else is crap. Um, yeah, I think, the, I think the, the key point we're making is that, you know, CGI should only be there when you need it. You know, mm-hmm. the, with 1971, they, that's, that's a film about a soldier, a British soldier being stuck in, you know, a Catholic mm-hmm. part of Belfast. So it's... Uh, in 1971 during the trouble so you, you don't think oh cgi for that but it was necessary because obviously they just but they did a little kind of airbrushing on the um yeah. on the, the, the high street and things like that so when it's necessary in, in mad max they wanted to touch up the thing but that's what happened with the the, the star wars films in general george lucas just said now nah, we're going to do all of this in post-production and then start editing things like greedo shooting first instead of han solo shooting first in the cantina and just going through the films and combing through them and just changing them like with um yeah and it's with cgi so you know so, some of the most interesting things that have ever happened in film were were down to you know somewhat having limitations on what you can do you know yeah the fact you the fact that you know they when they were doing even even empire strikes back i'm sure george lucas had a pretty easy time of it with his financiers getting the budget for empire strikes back right after the hit that star wars had been but there were still limitations on what the visual effects can do but empire's just got some really awesome stuff in it you know because it, because they're still talking about well we're going to need some really good music from john williams for this and like let's get some good lighting on this fight between darth vader and um uh, uh, and, and Luke Skywalker, because we need. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of emotion involved. And this is about to find out. Spoiler alert: that Darth Vader is his father. <laughs> it's about the mood, the mood, and the lighting, and the emotion. And obviously, those films are very visual effects heavy, but it's about the story. 
It's, yeah. and, and it works the same way the other way. I mean, there's been a bit of a backlash about CGI in recent years as well. And some films like make a virtue of the fact that they uh, they're going to only you know mostly use practical effects. Yeah, and yeah. and I kind of like that because I think practical effects they, they look a bit more real anyway. The fact that someone's actually got to you know when someone's just, you know, a CGI version of a character is just bouncing from one thing to another, it doesn't look real. I, I want to see you want to see the you want to see the actors struggle, right? Um, you know, you don't want anyone to kind of be in, in danger. But, you know, in the Mission Impossible films, that works because they use practical effects, but the stories are exciting. But then when Need for Speed came out, remember that racing film based on the video game? Oh, with uh, Aaron Paul? Yeah, and it's like with Aaron Paul. I like him in, in, in uh, Breaking Bad. I really like his film to be successful, but it was a shite film. So the fact that, you know, they made a big virtue, oh, we're going to be all practical effects. Sorry, great, but you didn't have a decent script, you know? it's like CGI won't save a shit film and going all practical effects won't save a shit film either that's really what it comes down to Yeah, I don't. I don't know how I feel about CGI. I think if it's necessary for the film, then obviously use it. Um, I like the idea of practical effects, and you know, it's cool seeing an actual, you know, like an Inception where they made the actual corridor being able to rotate for Joseph yeah. Gordon-Levitt. Seeing that stuff was cool. Yeah, um, and the, the number of times they've done films, you know, I mean, even now, I mean, Apollo thirteen in in nineteen ninety five didn't have so much CGI that it could. Um, uh, do everything with, with computer effects. So to create weightlessness, they had to film in a in a plane that that was like dipping, so that they could they could achieve weightlessness. Yeah, yeah. And and that's still one of the the main things that they would use nowadays to 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 do weightlessness in a uh, in a film. And even something like Gravity, which had tons of, of CGI in it, you know, it, there's a couple of making of so you can find out about about Gravity. They use quite a lot of practical effects as well because. You want it to look real. You you want it to look like someone is genuinely uh, holding on to the, the handrail in that zero gravity environment. Otherwise, it just looks like a. Again, the, the, you're a gamer, so and it's very easy. A lot of people have got oh, it just looks like a video game. It looks like a shit video game, right? Because <laughs> good yeah. video games go to a hell of a lot of trouble to make what you're make what you're um, watching or playing look real and, and and like and have some you know. Uh, some heft, as Mark Kermode calls it. It, lo- it looks like someone's actually trying to lift that thing. It looks like someone's really sweating. And 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 when all you do is just create some graphics, it's like who cares? I mean, we, yeah. we talked we talked to you know before and about you know our, probably our favorite, well, one of our favorite Marvel films is uh, Thor Ragnarok. Now that that has all the CGI. It has a great big explosion at the end when uh, you know when there's a big climactic event that kind of changes everything, and there's big kind of CG monsters and. The main thing with CGI is maybe we're a bit spoiled, a bit spoiled. Sorry, because CGI, you know, these we know these films got two hundred million dollars to spend. We know they've got state of the art computers, so we expect the CGI to be really good. But then, so what? I want a good story. I want funny lines. And the best things in in Thor Ragnarok are, you know, the dialogue and the characterization. You know, Taika Waititi yeah, well, <laughs> giving it his own his own personality in the in the okay. story and the way he directed Twist, it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. That film had a, a solid script, a funny script. It's a very funny film. Um, and then from there, you know, there's some really beautiful shots in that film that are obviously CGI. But, you know, he, he saw what he wanted to do with the film and made sure that the film was funny and had a good story to tell before he even began to think about animating, you know, Hulk's arse cheeks and things like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there, there was things that needed to be done beforehand. Um 
before and i don't suppose in relation to like video games um because video games can look really nice but just have no story behind them whereas um i suppose that's similar to films where there's lots of cgi effects and things like that and it can look pretty or it can look shit um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't even matter because the story's rubbish um but yeah thor ragnarok's a good example i think most marvel films are a good example you might not like the film yeah. else is, this is the same as like the last marvel film but the special effects will always be on point and the story will always be there for a reason yeah um, um, so um, some some people were a bit critical of some of the cg in black panther as it goes um, okay. Some people said the bits where uh, T'Challa, or well, in his Black Panther costume, it, it looks a bit obviously CGI. But I mean, it's, it's like I say, if you're enjoying the story, you will forgive. I mean, I when we do the Year of the Carpenter, you know, the, the first one I did was Dark Star, right? And they did that for fifteen thousand dollars in nineteen seventy four with like you know equipment they nicked from a from a university. And it's like, what the hell were they thinking trying to do a film about space, right? They had, you know, they had nothing. I've, yeah, I, I've, en- I've enjoyed some terrific films that yeah, where it's quite obviously, you know, something dangling on a wire, you know? It's all yeah, right. It's, it's all right. It's, it's, as long as it's good. And sometimes the ingenuity, the, people grew up with things like Ray Harryhausen and stop motion. And, and sometimes people do stop motion now as a bit of a, um, it's almost a novelty. You know, when they did that Isle of Dogs film, um, the director who did um, Grand Budapest Hotel, what's his name? Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson. He did a couple of stop motion films, uh, Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Part of me is going, oh, really? Well, why do stop motion when it takes like a year to, to do like three minutes of footage um, when you could just do it with computers? But I kind of admire someone wanting to just, you know, there, there, was yeah. some terrific, there was some terrific films like maybe my, my dad's era growing up with stop motion effects like Ray Harryhausen, you know, Jason and the Argonauts and, and things like that, where it's all, you look at it now and you go, yeah, that's really kind of shonky. The first King Kong film, you look at it now and it's quite clearly someone's been pushing a model around and you can see kind of, the, you can actually see the bits where someone's pushed like the King fingerprints. Kong. Yeah, you can see the fingerprints. But that's a cracking film. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I think people just get kind of caught up in it. It's like, oh, that doesn't look hyper realistic. It's like you know, you know, Black Panther's not real, guys. You know, he's not the, an yeah, actual. Yeah, and the thing is, the, the, the trick <laughs> is, if if someone, you know, I mean, I'm like you. Someone said to me, oh, I didn't think the CGI was very good. Or I read an article saying, oh, some people criticise the CGI in Black Panther. And maybe if you go back and look at it and go, yeah, but I didn't notice it at the time because I was enjoying the film. And yeah. I think if you're noticing the CGI and noticing flaws in the CGI, it's probably because the film isn't very good. Yeah, so but yeah, when you're nitpicking at Black Panther for having a bit of CGI that didn't look polished, then uh, fine. But yeah. on the whole, I think the general consensus is that Black Panther is a good film, and if there's one bit of jarring CGI, that CGI, CGI, then yeah. yes. I mean, when, I mean, the, th- the thing about Jurassic Park is, yeah, that they used computer effects to do something that had never been done before, and that's terrific. But the main thing is that's a really exciting film, and and when yeah. someone said um, we should use CGI to make the dinosaurs look real, you. You don't, you know. The, I mean, I, I was lucky enough because I was I was the right age and it and it was on. I was lucky enough to see Jurassic Park in the cinema when it came out. Yeah. And you're not you're not sitting there going, "Oh, that CGI is really good." You're thinking, "Bloody hell, that T Rex is going to eat that Jeep, right?" Yeah. And it's the well, same thing with um, when someone comes up with an idea, like you say, that needs CGI, and you think, "Ah," oh, I mean, and sometimes you get suckered into it, and it's why it's why I re- remake Hate Watch. Uh, one of the reasons I remake Hate Watch um, feature exists is sometimes you get suckered into watching a remake because you think, well, now they've got even better special effects. Yeah. Maybe it's worth doing a remake, but only if they 
doing the rest of it well as well. Yeah, you know? I think that ties into the crutch thing. And I think what, what CGI can be bad for is taking away from the actual acting and character development because it's like, oh, look at all the CGI we have. Look at look at this character flying around. Look at this character in a spaceship and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes over a line. It's like, well, we don't actually have a story here, lads. So what we're going to do is we're going to put a load of CGI in the guy's face and see, see if they like it. And it doesn't always work. But yeah. when you're making a film, you need to have that happy balance. You need to have... Strong exactly. actors, you need to have well fleshed out characters, and then if those if those fleshed out characters and you know good actors need to be flying about and you know fighting aliens, then okay, yeah, get the CGI, but don't just don't just throw loads of CGI at my face because you haven't got, you guys haven't decided to write a proper film. Um, yeah, and, and the the thing is, right, if you look at um, you look at Star Wars, right, Star Wars didn't use a lot of CGI, but obviously visual effects were a big discussion point, right? They created visual effects that no one had seen before so that that film could be made and that and that's a good thing there's always technology available to a given filmmaker that wasn't available to the previous generation of filmmakers right and it'll always come down to whether they do something interesting or imaginative with that um i mean an example would be i mean gravity i mean we like gravity when we see it. i thought it was a terrific film it was an excellent experience when i saw it at the imax i've got it on blu-ray i think you, i think you bought it me on blu-ray there's an element of it though that says you know, over time, I think I think in 30 years, people look back at it and go, yeah, it was okay. And I'm sure the special effects were incredibly exciting back then, but it's just a it's just a little escape story. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a very similar film from about 1968. It's called Marooned or something, and it's about a moon mission that goes wrong. And at the time, everyone went absolutely nuts for the special effects because for the time, the special effects were terrific. But looking at it now, it was... Some films are just a milestone in special effects, and then other people take those special effects and do something better cinematically with them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. At the end of the day, history will all, history will always time will always defeat your special effects, but they won't defeat great writing, great acting. Uh, you know, a, a, a terrific idea for a film. No, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes the fact that they had to use CGI, but some other things as well. Some, some of my favourite stories. I mean, Terminator Two. On the one hand, Terminator 2, James Cameron made, I think at the time, the most expensive film yet made at that uh, at that at that time. I think he was slightly annoyed that Total Recall had taken his record the previous year for the most expensive film. And the idea that the Terminator would be made out of molten metal and and is something that could even beat Arnie's Terminator. And they're gonna say, oh, we're gonna need CGI for this. I'm 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 super excited, right? Great, you know? Yeah. Um, but some of the, some of the effects in that, um, you know, the, there's a bit where the the Terminator turns itself into Linda Hamilton, and uh, so Sarah Connor's looking at herself. Yeah. Do, do you know the story of how they did that? No. She's got a twin sister. Oh fucking hell! <laughs> so they just used their twin sister. Yeah, no, I, I love shit like that. Like um... that's like I obviously think it's absolutely awesome when Robert Patrick's character melts into like a, a, a giant knife and that's brilliant. But it, like you say, I love that little stuff. Where, oh yeah. And they just used Linda Hamilton's twin sister for that scene. I like, I like both. I like both things being in films, you know, you know, a bit of ingenuity. Well, yeah, that's, this isn't a film, but you know, orange is the new black. Yes. There's a character in that. That's um, a transgender woman. I don't know the right terms, but they were a man and they've now transitioned into being a woman. And what yeah. they did was to show the before and after of when that person was a man has now become a woman. The um, she she obviously looks like a woman's, but when she was a she was a man, she was like a big burly firefighter. So luckily, um, the character's name is Laverne. The actor's name, sorry, is Laverne Cox. She has a twin brother in real life. 
So they just got uh, him yeah. to, to play the firefighter, and he had like big facial hair, big you know like dreads. Yeah, and stuff that's like good. That. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, no, I like stuff like that. It's smart rather than just going in and CGIing, you know, Laverne Cox with the beard, and you know. Yeah, because I mean, C- CGI isn't the first special effect or you know, or piece of technology that people have complained is is killing films, right? You know, there's, yeah. there, there was an element of when when censorship uh, was relaxed in the American film industry in the '60s. You know, we talked about this. Remember, we talked about Hitchcock um, wanting to do that film, Kaleidoscope, about the serial yes. killer. And um, part of the motivation was now that the censorship has been relaxed, you could show a lot more sex and violence and people were like queuing up, you know, they were calling all the special effects guys, right, get me all your blood bags, get me all your gore makeup. Do you know what I mean? Um, And and, and we, we look back now and look nostalgic for the times when people use kind of blood bags and, you know, you know, because you, you look at some of the the the, the blood CGI and it, you can quite obviously someone as as as, as computer generated the, the blood when someone gets shot and it doesn't look as real as when James Khan had a bunch of blood bag blood bags under his shirt for The Godfather. You know, sorry, yeah. spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and you know, and, 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 but, so many films today, man. <laughs> but but some, someone would have been complaining back then about you know oh, all these special effects. And in a way, the way they were they were they were right because it took a few years for Hollywood to settle down and say yes, you can show more sex and violence than you used to, right? But yeah. you only need to show as much as as you need to. And then it settles down, and then it becomes settled, and then and then the new thing comes along. Then you can, you know, and it's like, oh, it's brilliant that the the original Death Star was just a miniature. Okay, and yeah. um, there would have been people there would have been people complaining about then. Oh, why does what does every film have to have special effects or you know visual effects and miniatures and everything? It's and and, and what it what it eventually comes down to that there should be a correction when you know uh, you know good ideas are, are what really matters. Toy Story was a, a milestone of uh, of computer animation, but everyone enjoys it because it's a good film. Yeah, and obviously Toy Story One looks totally different to Toy Story Four because there's about yeah, twenty four years. Is it? Yeah, 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 it's twenty four years in the production of the film. But everyone, if you ask anyone what Toy Story is the better film, they'll say the first one because the story's better. Yeah, I mean, it's I like the, Toy Story Two better than Toy Story One, but the point is exactly the same. That, that thirty years from now, I mean, some some of these CGI films now have got much richer and more detailed backgrounds, and you know, the sky and the clouds in Toy Story are kind of quite quaint, aren't they? Because they they're big, kind of fluffy cloud things. You know, yeah. Um, I don't mind it. You know, because because what you're watching is a good film. Yeah, I think I think the 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 point is is that CGI. It can be a very good thing, but it can also get in the way, and it should just be used, obviously, when the film demands it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's ever going to be the right thing for de-aging technology to be the entire centre yeah. of a film. I just don't think that makes any sense. I mean, it would have been... I mean, let, 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 let's do a comparison. Um, Robert De Niro in uh, Once Upon a Time in America, my favourite film. I know it's not everyone's favourite film, but there are scenes there where him and uh, some of the other kind of actors like James Woods are... Well, first of all, they, they have kids to play them rather than because uh, that would be weird otherwise. Um, but then all they do is just make them up with kind of um, grey hair and you know wrinkle wrinkle makeup to look like the older older actors. And Al Pacino in in The Godfather Part Two, there's some scenes right at the end where they've done him out to look much older. And he, you look at Al Pacino when he is that old, and he doesn't look like 35 year old Al Pacino wearing aging makeup, right? But yeah. it doesn't take you out of the film for one second because you look at it and you go, yeah, there's there's old Michael Corleone sitting on his own after the events of Godfather 2, reflecting on everything that's happened. 
It doesn't take you out of the film for one second, right? Sometimes bad aging makeup does take you out of it, like um, Back to the Future 2. There's a lot of people with like big kind of rubbery kind of wrinkle makeup that does look a bit, you know, Lee Thompson and Michael J. Fox's older characters look a bit pants, really, with with the aging makeup. But for years, no one complained when you basically got an older actor um, to, you know, play, you know, in in grey makeup. But... you'd be just as well though to say if you're going to have half the film is with a much older character get get a younger and older actor yeah that that seems simple to me but maybe you know maybe the cost of cgiing that is cheaper than paying another salary for a big name actor i don't know but but do you remember and i think it was because of cuts and changes to the film but with prometheus guy pierce is in prometheus as as a 90 year old character yeah, and I can only assume that there was some intention in either in part of that film or in a sequel to to show you young guy Pierce. But yeah. they went to a lot of trouble. Why didn't they just hire an older actor? Oh fuck knows to I play the older um, Wayland Yutani CEO doesn't doesn't make I think sense. There's at a all. common theme where all the films that we've mentioned about having dodgy CGI or dodgy CGI choices were also really messy films. Yeah, that because because Ridley, Ridley Scott was trying to make a different film, and they just twisted his arm to make a to to, to reboot the Alien franchise, really. Um, and I think if 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 Ridley Scott has has a, a flaw nowadays, is that he seems to let the studio twist his arm too much instead of telling them to go fuck themselves and just make him whatever film he wants to make. You know, yeah. Because because this is the thing: if someone's got a distinct vision, and says, "I'm going to make this film," right? You know, whichever whichever you know director it is, you pick one. They've got a vision and they've got a story they want to do, and it's really important that they tell that story, right? And that is going to require special effects. Fine, everything has been done in the service of, of the film, right? Everything's been done in the service of a good story. And as you say, maybe they sit there and go, "Oh, this isn't working. We, we better we better we better ramp up the special effects to kind of make up for it." No, yeah, I, I agree. It's. Uh... It's just one of those things. It's it's always going to have to be there, but whether the film producers, filmmakers decide to use it properly or too much, then it's it's down to them. But that's why we get to watch the yeah. film and criticize it. But, but but like we say, I mean, obviously, without CGI, you wouldn't have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which might you know a lot of people think is absolutely terrific. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, you know, going back to the idea of you know all, all sorts of special effects have changed, you know, things over the years. When the first Superman films with Christopher Reeve came out, you know, that they were incredibly expensive films. Like the budget for the first Superman film was like fifty-five million dollars, which was a phenomenal amount of money back then. And you know, they used a lot of CGI, mostly Christopher Reeve on wires in front of a screen, looking like he can fly. But a lot of those effects were very expensive. But the main, you know, because the first two at least are quite good, right? That, that's what matters. And you compare, you know, Man of Steel has a lot of similarities to to Superman 2 because it's got Zod in it and it's got, um, you know, the, the big battle at the end, which is very similar to the battle between uh, Superman and Zod at the end of Superman 2, right? Yeah. Um, in Superman 2, there's a lot of potential destruction to, to a city as a result of this. And, and, and here's the difference. The whole point in that story is Superman flies away and lures Zod away from a um, uh, a built-up area, right? Not necessarily because they didn't have the budget for lots of explosions and crashing, but because Superman wouldn't let tens of thousands of people die, yeah. right? And he would rather 
go, you know, even if it makes it harder for him to win the battle, even if it's at greater risk to himself, he he lures the villains away from the people that are that are going to get hurt. And in Man of Steel, Zack Snyder just says, oh, fuck it, let's blow up New York again. I mean, how many times has New York been blown up? I, I, no idea what building insurance costs. Yeah, no idea what um, <laughs> buildings insurance costs in, 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 in the movies, you know, because of all the t- time cities get blown up. And and as a result of that, the whole of Batman versus Superman is predicated on the fact that Bruce Wayne thinks it's unacceptable that Superman will allow so much destruction to happen. So not only is Man of Steel ruined by Zack Snyder, they then the only reason they made the even worse Batman versus Superman is because of all the destruction caused by Zack Snyder in, in part two. You just think if someone had a better idea of how to end a film, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have had that problem, you know? Yeah, I think and the CGI in those films looks shit. The, the, the DC does not know how to use CGI. But I think what what's filmmakers can do, and a good example of this is in Deadpool, the first one, um, there was meant to be that big fight scene at the end with... Ajax and I'm going to say Ajax because I'm a dickhead. Um, <laughs> but between Deadpool and Ajax uh, fighting on that you know abandoned storage container ship thing, yeah. um, rescuing his messes, uh, and he leaves his big bag of guns in the car. Yeah. The reason for that wasn't for a joke where the little taxi driver drives it away. The joke for that was um, didn't have enough money to animate and have that fight scene. So they just went, fuck it, Deadpool's just going to have to fight them hand-to-hand with his swords rather than animating shooting and all that kind of thing. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. It's why the you know the the the, the one of the people's favourite scenes from Raiders of the Lost Ark is because uh, Harrison Ford had food poisoning. So yeah, he, he just, just took out his gun and shot the guy, yeah. you know. Um, it, you know, it, again, it, it, come, it, t- it comes down to good storytelling and whether the special effects are in the service of that. And you know, the, 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 good, the good things of things like CGI is, the number of films that you watch from the old days where people have had animals in there and and, and they have their uh, they have their little disclaimer at the end saying no animals were harmed in in the making of this film. Those animals were still dragged onto a film set, right? And and some you know trainer was probably you know whole you know had done all sorts of kind of techniques to to get that uh, animal to do what it was told and then make it sit there. And that animal could have been quite happily lying somewhere licking its balls instead of being bothered by filmmakers. And and thanks to things like Andy Serkis and CGI, and thanks to you know, and they did it in Gladiator, and that's twenty years ago. But thanks to those developments, people can now make all sorts of things happen in films without there being any risk of the welfare of animals. I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good thing. Um, so using it for the right things is is still definitely the right thing to do. Yeah, it's got its pros and cons, and I think everyone would rather have a an animal lying in a field licking its balls as opposed to being dragged onto a film set. But and, and um, I think that's the thing that we should take away: that CGI is good for animals licking their balls. Yeah, not just animals. <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, it's funny though, if, if we look back on this, you know, thirty years from now, are people going to look at the 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 world of Pandora and Avatar and Alita Battle Angel? Because James Cameron's clearly very interested now in his um, uh, in creating these worlds, um, yeah. and I guess another one is um, is Robert Zemeckis, who who has he does far fewer live action films now. Almost everything he does now is in kind of you know CGI or, or a particular version of CGI, motion capture CGI. Is film history going to look back on those films as being the um, 
the the great development. And you say, all right, well, those films are a bit shonky. Those films are a bit primitive. But thanks to those pioneers, we now have these other films which would, would never have been possible otherwise. Is, is the future of film actually going to look back on on films that we're criticising and say that you, you only get to that point by people trying to push yeah. the envelope with their special yeah, the effects? trial and error kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, because I, we, had I this, we had the same thing with, like, you know, when, when silent film turned into to talkies. You know, if you there's uh you know, if you if you if you watch a talking picture from nineteen thirty when they've just learned to put microphones on a film set, you can actually hear the rustling of the microphone and the sound is absolutely yeah. shocking. But if they hadn't done that, would we all still have silent films? That would that would you know, think of the number of yeah. you know, the, the the developments in film that are depended on people persevering when you know, because Chart, you know, Chaplin went on for at least another eight or nine years after the advent of, of talking in films, sound in films, with silent films because he felt it was purer because films meant to be a visual medium, and he he bemoaned all of these kind of people standing talking films because you know it was all so limited, but only because of that do you have films we've enjoyed where someone is doing incredible stuff in a Marvel film and Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland have still got time for a couple of snappy one-liners, right? And that's only yeah. because people were prepared to persevere with talking pictures, with um, you know Alfred Hitchcock, you know doing um, you know putting up a back projector behind a a, a car seat and on, on a set to make it look like they're outdoors, right? And then people went on location. All of these things happened, and the first few times people did them, they looked really shonky. And color and sound and any form of kind of exciting special effects and stunts and people jumping off buildings, all the things we love in film came about because someone was trying to push the envelope. Yeah, bit the bullet and went for it. I just I just wonder, though, are we are we ever going to have an appetite for completely CGI films and completely CGI humans that are just being voiced? No. You know? I think some things hit their limit, you know. There's, um, I think it, this is unrelated, but today I was watching a video of this completely automated pizza-making machine. So yeah. it... it and I was watching it thinking, oh, that's pretty fucking cool, isn't it? Like, it stretches out the dough, spins it around, has the sauce, all the toppings, and it's all done through this big machine. Even you can put an entire salami and you don't even have to slice it, and the machine will mm-hmm. slice the salami and it'll fall onto the pizza. And I thought, that's really fucking cool. And then I thought, oh, but that's just taking someone's job, which they probably need to pay their bills and feed their family. So, you know, I think you, in the same, to relate that to this, and, and, you, and you're and always going to want People to enjoy see- being in the pizza restaurant watching the guy flip the dough, right? Yeah, that's that's part of the magic. You know, it's it's the same reason people still buy vinyl, not in the same numbers, but people still buy vinyl because there is still this this love like of it. things that are a bit yeah. more uh, authentic and analog, right? Yeah, I hope not. I hope we don't get films like that. You, you still that's the whole appeal of the this, the film industry is like having these big celebrities. Well, I want to see that new that new Brad Pitt film, etc. You want to see the stars, you want to see that film because that your favorite actors in it. If it's all CGI, then, you know, I like animated films, but I don't watch them as religiously as I used to when I was, you know, eight years old. I still watch, mm-hmm. the, you know, the Toy Stories and the, the, you know, the big ones now and again, the big games. But um, but those those kids' films are another example of, you know, when Toy Story came out, it was an absolute game changer and, and possibly, you know, uh, you know, changed the world. But the even though Disney was going through a bit of a resurgence since Beauty and the Beast and some good stuff had come along in the early nineties, there wasn't as, you know, it was still Disney or Pixar for the, you know, for, for good kids films, you know, fast forward 15, 20 years and there's lots of good kids films, right. And there's lots of young adult films. You've got everything from the Hunger games and everything else. And people's standards go up a bit, don't they? They say, you know, 
certain things that might have cut it 30 years ago in a kid's film won't cut it now because people are used to, you know, some really brilliant writing, brilliant ideas, very you know emotional stories in Pixar and other things. Um, you know, and, and certain films come out now and you just think, you watch it and you go, no, it was okay. 30 years ago, people would have lost their minds over it. That was incredible. But the standards are a bit higher. So in, in that sense, the fact that, yeah, you can show a planet being blown up, but it, 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 it for me, it sets the challenge. Are you gonna Are you gonna tell an interesting story on top of that? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, wh- where do we think this is? Always the hardest one to predict because I'm not sure anyone could have predicted things like you know computers back then. But where do we think the technology is going to go? Because now we've got motion capture, we've got you know de aging and stuff like that. I mean. Wh- what, what, what do you think that the future holds for, for film technology? I don't know, man, because, you know, I don't know if it was like having the first mobile phone back in the day. You probably remember getting your first mobile phone. You probably could never have predicted the phone that you're using right now is the one that you'd have been using 20 years on from your Nokia 3310 that you could murder an entire family with just by dropping it on their roof. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go with films. You could say one thing, and it would be something completely different. Like the way you watch films is there will be a microchip in your brain, and they just Bluetooth it to you, and that's the way you watch it from now on. It's like holographed in front of your in front of your eyes in your living room. I don't know how they're going to change film and change the cinema industry. I don't think they actually need to change. I think that's it ties into our our um, discussion about TV versus film. I feel like the the way we watch things is different now. So they're going to have to do something special to make people interested in films again, or as interested in films as they are in sticking on a TV show. So I have no idea what they're going to make us. I mean, if, if we look, if we look at what's changed, because we've talked about what's going to happen to film in, in other contexts, other than, uh, other than effects, haven't we? We've talked about what could happen with streaming, what could happen with indie cinema, what might blur the line between going to see the film on the big screen at your local cinema and, and you know, which films you would still watch at home uh, on, on your service. I mean, what, one thing that's clearly the case is, you know, we talked about previously, didn't we, is that it is t- when we talked about TV versus film, all sorts of things are now possible in terms of special effects that have, have made things possible for TV shows that weren't possible before. I mean, they're now doing a Lord of the Rings TV series. And even in, like the late nineties when uh, Peter Jackson is signing contracts and, and getting people on board to do a Lord of the Rings film, the thought that someone could do something like Lord of the Rings on the television was just not possible. I mean, late nineties fantasy um, TV back then was Hercules, the legendary journeys, right. And Xena warrior princess. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas now you've got game of Thrones, the Witcher, um, good omens, a Lord of the Rings TV series, all sorts of very interesting sci-fi. I noticed a, a sci-fi show on on Amazon, I think, which I watched some episodes of, and I, I want to get around to watching the rest. Is um, Tales from the Loop, and and they've they've shot it in four K, and it's based on uh, futuristic art by this Swedish guy, uh, and they've like built stories around it. And it's not the best sci-fi I've ever seen, but it's really interesting stuff that just wasn't possible until the technology made the day, it possible. Yeah. Um. You know, so maybe it's and and also the fact is, I mean, have you seen? I think it's a guy who works as, as a special effects animator. It's not a complete kind of person in the street like you or me, where he does these films where he kind of CGI's his kids' adventures. 
Yeah, so when, when, they, the, like, when the kid jumps on a ship, and then it's like he's you know he's playing with a toy box, pretending it's a ship. He's actually animated it to yeah, be. He, 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 yeah, he, I think he picks, I've seen that. He picks up a toy laser gun in the supermarket aisle and pretends to <laughs> shoot it, and then yeah. he takes he takes the video footage home and then makes it look like he's wiped yeah. out at an aisle of the supermarket. And I know that that guy's got access to stuff that no one else can have, but maybe the fact that technology is available to more people is it's it's going to feed into the. Uh, the democratization of film production, the, the fact that more people can make, you know, because you can shoot on digital, you can shoot on smaller budgets. Um, it's getting harder to to shoot, you know, for big Hollywood films to cost less than $200 million. So we're going to have these massive, massive spectacle films at one end. And at the other end, you're going to have these films that, you know, anyone can make and they can get shown at a festival and they can get you a, a shot on a TV series or something like that. You know, maybe it will make, Maybe it will make stories that have been harder to bring to the screen until now worthwhile stories easier to do because you can now yeah. and, and 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 you know not create a the world of Pandora, um, but actually the um, it could make recreating certain eras or recreating certain events easier to do for an independent film that can't command a massive budget. That would be interesting. I mean, I you know I, I'm in favour of anything that makes more interesting film and TV possible, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, you know, it could be, you know, it's just trying to just trying to think about what's been what's been groundbreaking in, in in films recently. I mean, twenty twenty was just about being able to make any films, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's 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 trying to think that you know, could you see? Would you? Would you would you see de aging being valid at all? I mean, if it was if it was like for a short scene in a film, not half the film, would it be valid for a bit? Yeah, if you, I hate to go back to it, but say you're you're going to like a, a film like Tron, where you're trying to establish the character a little bit, and you want to show the relationship that this kid has with his dad, but we've already seen Jeff Bridges play that character at that age. You know, you don't want to hire another actor because it, it, I understand that that doesn't feel right in terms of canon you know what i mean like just getting someone else who looks a bit like jeff bridges you know i understand why they've done that i think yeah i think there was a good example of when uh, paul walker passed away and they did fast and furious or is it furious seven yeah and they'd already shot most of the film but they obviously had to change the ending because paul walker passed away and he wasn't going to be in the next three or four films that they've made since um so they obviously got his brother who looks a lot like him and then just cgi'd a little bit for obviously that famous shot of vin diesel driving one way and paul walker driving the other yeah, completely understand why they'd use it then. But yeah, like a little short scene, short scene where it's like you know, back when I was, you know, maybe it's a mob film back when the guy was starting out as a, a mob boss, and now, you know, this is how he took hold. Of. Like a short five minute scene is fine, but a three hour fucking film, no. I, I mean, I would one hundred percent have rather had either a young actor playing. I mean, what what would De Niro have done at age thirty two if someone had said, uh, you know, I want you to play the Irishman. He just said, "Right, let's shoot the Irishman, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to I'm going to shave my hairline back, and I'm going to put on weight. I'm going to learn to I'm going to learn to walk like an old man, and he'll be on the be on the chat show circuit for two years talking about what he did to kind of make it look realistic. And we we like that stuff. We like actors making stuff look real. You know, we like the fact that they learn how to fire a gun and you know learn how to speak you know Navajo so they can you know uh, be in the Revenant and stuff. We like that stuff. Yeah, um, no, I." I th- I think it works better when you're. I think prosthetics look so good. It's so good for makeup. Makeup artists do 
just as wonderful because it's because it's natural isn't it it looks real because it's someone's real face moving yeah but even then you know it's a big bit of plasticine or a big bit of putty on their face and it's just been molded and you know that that's not joseph gordon levitt's real lift lip and you know that's not um you know uh, matthew mcconaughey and dallas buyers club you know they had to do like hair and makeup in that for 300 dollars, and they won an oscar for it so i think makeup is just as wonderful at making things that aren't what they are look that yeah. way you know what i mean and i think it's easier to go forward than it is to go backwards um you know time is always moving forward and i think that that applies to the de-aging thing in cgi it's a case of you know robert De Niro can put on a gray wig or he can dye his hair gray and they can give him like kind of wrinkle lines and they can make him look older because that's what they would usually do you know and you don't need to cgi that pay a makeup artist rather than you know that five thousand dollar per hour scene that it seems i don't know how much it costs to cgi a to pay someone to CGI a scene in a film, I don't know how much how much time goes into it. But if you just pay a makeup artist and have have the actor actually act rather than just add their voice to a CGI, you know, yeah, because motion. this is almost like deep fakes, isn't it? Because deep fakes is becoming oh, really controversial, creepy, like, yeah, and it's it, it's creepy, and anything that's creepy and puts you off is you know. Um, but I mean, if we've talked about the technology, we talked, we we mentioned it last 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 month, didn't we? Like maybe maybe film is going to go virtual reality. Yeah, but even then, you, you could whatever is in the virtual reality is it, it's whatever's being filmed. You still got to put something in front of a camera. It's you like you couldn't really do that. Virtual reality is all about exploring it, like mm-hmm. the world. Whereas films have to have a structure that you have, the, like the viewer has to follow. So yeah, like like with video games, isn't it? The whole the, the the reason it's hard to make a good video game film is that a video game is something you could play for a hundred hours. Oh yeah, there's, and, there's and, so and, much a film, and a film is something you can watch for two hours, and that's all. And you can watch it yeah. again, and you can watch it again. And you know, in rare cases, films get better the more you watch them because you notice stuff. But often, you just go, "Okay, done." Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't have an answer for you of what I think films will be in the future. Um, I, I look forward to seeing what they do because they'll pro- they'll probably come up with something. Yeah, I mean, I I think where it's going to be interesting is the fact that more and different people are, ma- are making films, um, and and people are trying trying interesting stuff, and and it's and it's going to come down to people's creativity and ingenuity because it's like you say the things that we like about CGI, like motion capture, right? Motion capture is just an extension of the fact that they used to. You know, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, they couldn't actually dangle people off a cliff over that particular river, so someone drew a set. You know, a lot of a lot of Blade Runner is, was like cleverly drawn sets, right? Yeah. Um, it's uh, If it's an extension of something else, you go, okay, well, we did that because that was the best we could do. And that's something that people like because it's a dramatic event in a film, and now you can use those special effects to make that look better. That's an absolute no-brainer, isn't it? Of course you would do that. As much as, you know, you would still use a bit of drawing of sets. I mean, it's like Harry Potter used real real locations and real castles and touched them up. That's that's all great. But to use all that CGI to create something that you could have hired an actor to do just doesn't seem to make sense to me, does it? No, Why it doesn't make sense. Why would you? Yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, it's, it's, it's just the... Uh, but trying to look back on it, I mean, the the horror the horror genre is quite interesting for stuff like this because horror has been the most resistant to things like CGI. Yeah, because a horror films tend not to have massive budgets, and b they kind of pride themselves on what they can do with practical effects. 
I remember showing your sister the 1982 version of The Thing with John Carpenter, uh, and it kind of blew her mind that they didn't have any CGI. That's all kind of puppet effects. Yeah. And horror films have always prided themselves on the fact that, you know, in, in one of the George Romero zombie films, they, they got um, actual animal guts from a, uh, from the from the abattoir, and and basically the 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 actor had to hold you know wear a, a bag of guts, uh, and then when he, when he got torn apart, blood and guts come pouring out, and they they used you know bits of it was bits of beef and uh, and animal stuff. So ho- horror films, C- CGI is just something they're less interested in because who wants to horror is like comedy. If you don't get that reaction in an instant, it doesn't work. Horror's got to be scary. Comedy's got to be funny. Can't fake that. You can't synthesize that. It's got to. It's got to work in the moment. So no. practical yeah, effects are definitely here to stay, and CGI is a. You know, it's 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 one tool in the. Uh, it's one tool in the armory, isn't it? Yeah. No, I agree. I've, it's it's hopefully something that we'll we'll see refined and. Because it's already at a very high level, but you know it needs, like you say, it needs to be done properly. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a <laughs> if you've got a great story you know, that someone's written or an idea for a film that's going to be really, really challenging, and someone says that's going to need CGI, you and I are both rubbing our hands, going, oh, "I'd like to see that. That sounds good, right?" Yeah. Um, the the flip side is one of our disappointments with Dunkirk was that Christopher Nolan made Dunkirk look like it was three planes and twelve guys and one boat. Yeah. And, and his, history tells us it was, it was a much bigger event than that. 400,000 people. And it, that almost choosing not to have CGI because you want to be pure is bollocks, isn't it? It's yeah, like, that film's a crock of shit. Um, I mean, I, I, mean I, I like it better than you, but you know, the, re- I'm, the reasons you're unhappy with it are the same reasons I'm unhappy with it. It's like, yeah, use some CGI and make it look like there's 50,000 people in there. It's like in, in Atonement, which is like a... Uh, you know, an Oscar film, it's a British-made film, so it didn't have a fraction of the budget that, that Christopher Nolan has to play with. The scenes of Dunkirk in Atonement look like there's tens of thousands of men on that beach. Yeah. And, and and whatever they did, that actually, the scale of Atonement, which I don't like as a film otherwise, the scale of the beach scenes in Atonement are better than Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Christopher Nolan, Mr. Visual Effects, right? But then, then some, someone's going to someone's going to change something, isn't it? Someone's going to do something that's going to flip it around. We we never know what it is. No one no one predicted the the invention of the computer, so no one could ever you know the the microprocessor as we know it. People thought computers were as good as they were in in the nineteen sixties. They thought computers would be no better than that in nineteen ninety nine, but we'd be living on the moon. It's very difficult to predict the future. Um, no, I look for I look forward to it though. Yeah, I, I think that the, the future is bright if people use their imagination. That's all for this month's episode of Double Reel. Thanks for listening and for making it all the way to the end. Thanks also to my co-host, James Adamson. The podcast was edited and mixed with the help of Audacity, Anchor FM and Zencaster. As usual, anything that sounded good was down to them and anything that sounded crap was down to us. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Summer of Sam can be streamed on the adult-oriented star segment of Disney Plus or purchased on disc or digital copy from all the usual providers. Sources on Ridley Scott's Tripoli are mostly the online articles we referred to for our feature. An early draft of 
Bill Monaghan's script can also be downloaded to read. Outside of Dubriel, you can find me co-hosting the Witty Saying podcast. And you can find me fighting crime in the streets under cover of darkness. So this is me, James Adamson, signing off, and... This is me, James Adamson, signing off. Your next podcast episode will be our regular episode 13 next month. Keep an eye on the socials for any bonus or special episodes we decide to do in future. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. Until then, stay safe, watch lots of films, and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media. And there have been four mass genocides since Hans Zimmer last won an Oscar. I love Boogie Nights. Yes, yeah, because it's got shagging like someone I say. I'm your big fucking beetle. <laughs> <laughs>